Do I dare have you turn to Exodus chapter 34 again? Exodus chapter 34. For some weeks I've been talking on the subject of forgiveness. How many are glad you're forgiven? I mean, that came through this morning in the prayers and in the worship. We're forgiven people. In Exodus chapter 34, in answer to the prayer of Moses, back in chapter 33, when Moses asked the Lord, Show me your glory. What do you expect to see if the Lord shows you His glory? Thunder and lightning and dazzling brilliance. What God, show your glory. And this is what the Lord showed Moses in Exodus 34. Well, start at verse 5. It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. You want to see His glory? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Do you want to see the glory? To see the glory means you see the nature of God to forgive. That's what makes Him unique. That's what makes Him awesome. Because there's no other God in the world, as we'll see a little later this morning, there's no other God that's got that nature. This is what distinguishes Him from all the other so-called gods. That it is the glory of this God to forgive. Wow. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that's His glory? That's His nature? So no matter to what extent there may be to man's depravity, the promise is this, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Forgiveness will always be abundant. You know, there's a story in the book of Numbers where, again, the people rebelled against the Lord, come to the promised land, and they're at the border, and then God says, send the spies in, and they send the spies in, and ten come back with, with a negative report. Yeah, the land is everything, but I don't know if we're up to it. And God says, after all I've shown you, after all my faithfulness, after all my loyalty, you turn around and say to me, don't know if we can do this or not. And, and, and God was a little upset. You know, he was uh, not liking the answer that they gave. And he said, Moses, how about I start over with you? And God, Moses says, no, that's not your nature. I like that. I think he was testing Moses, don't you? No, God, that is not your nature. Your nature is, it's your glory to forgive. 
And God says, Moses, you're right. I won't do that. In spite of the sinfulness of man, my glory will fill all the earth. God is a good God. Now, I'm going to ask a question this morning. What does God do with your sins after you confess them? I mean, there is... Actually, half of my message was preached this morning. You don't know it in your prayers and in your, in your, in your praise. What does God do with your confessed sins? There are yet so many pictures in the Bible of what God does with our sins. It's like what he does, uh, like what happens when people get rid of nuclear waste. You really got to get rid of it so no one gets anywhere near it. I mean, that nuclear waste is sealed in a drum, and then it's doubly sealed in concrete after that. In other words, no possibility of anybody ever prying into it, and it'll never get out. Amen. God is not into exposure. He's into exoneration. Now, someone prayed this morning, Psalm 103 and verse 12, where it says, He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, I am glad that the psalmist did not say, as far as the north is from the south. I'll tell you why. Because there's a north pole and there's a south pole. But there's no east pole and there's no west pole. There is a north pole, which means I can travel north so far. And once I get to the pole, if I keep going, I'm traveling south. I've changed direction. Is that not right? But how far can you travel east before you ever change your direction? That's the whole point, eh? It just keeps going. In other words, there's no pole. There's no west pole. There's no east pole. It just keeps traveling. You travel east, and you're going to always go east. You'll never be going west. And God has removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you're never going to meet up with your sins. Hallelujah. Our confessed sins are transported far beyond us. I just want to show you some more pictures the Bible uses about what God actually does after you confess your sins to Him, what He does to them. Go to Isaiah chapter 38 and verse number 17. This is an incident in the life of King Hezekiah. Remember the story how Isaiah the prophet went to him and said, Set your affairs in order. You're about to depart this world. Remember the story? And Hezekiah took that, uh, whether he was right or not, I don't know, but he took that as, God's going to judge me for my sin. And he, the Bible says he turned on his bed, faced to the wall, and he pleaded to the Lord. And the Lord heard his cry and the Lord sent Isaiah back and says, Okay, change of plans. I'm going to give you another 15 years. Now, though it's not my message today, I don't think you should have prayed that. I think you should have gone home to be with the Lord. Because in those 15 years, he blew it. 
He would have been okay if he would have gone when God took him. There, that's a different message. But when Hezekiah hears the report that God had forgiven him and extended his life by 15 years, he says this in Isaiah 38 and verse 17. But you have lovingly... How many like that word? You have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption... For you have cast all my sins behind your back. God has cast all your sins behind His back. In other words, God throws them where He can't see them. Out of the line of vision. Cannot be seen and thus cannot be Remembered. <clears throat> the sentence of death has been revoked. He has been pardoned. And his sins are put out of sight and out of remembrance. In the Hebrew language, that phrase, the cast behind the back, is simply means I is being excluded from view. God has put our sins out from any other further consideration. You'll never meet them again. Anybody happy about that one? So he uses a picture that they're not just cast away, not in front, but they're cast behind, out of sight. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25 and Isaiah 44 and verse 22 give another picture for us of what God does to our sins that we have confessed. <clears throat> Chapter 43:25 I even I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Chapter 44 verse 22 I have blotted out like a thick cloud, your transgressions, and like a cloud, your sins. To blot something out, that means to oblib... Ob, how do you say this word? Obliterate it. Obliterate it. Sounds like I'm speaking in tongues. Obliterate it. From view. That which is written in the book is blotted out. And what I like this verse in Isaiah 43 says, this is done for only one reason. And that is, God loves you. For His own sake. Being true to His own character. Do we deserve it? No. But for love's sake, He obliterates our sins from all view. How many are glad for that? Amen. Now that forgiveness has been granted, we can be restored back to our inheritance. We're received back into His favor. He says the blotting out of our sins is compared to a cloud in the sky. Have you ever seen a cloud in the sky evaporate? Have you ever seen in the morning, it looks like, oh, it's going to be a rainy day. Of course, you live in Northern Ireland. 
Have you ever seen the clouds there in the morning? But have you ever seen the power of the sun come out and in the heat of the sun evaporate the clouds and they just dissipate and they cease to exist? That's the picture that God says, and that's what I do with your sin. I disperse it, it breaks it apart, it ceases to exist. Hallelujah. How many think that's good news? In other words, the cloud isn't just driven away somewhere else for you to meet up with it later. It's gone. It's dissipated. It's gone. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34 is another picture of what God does with our sins. Chapter 31 verse 34, this is the new covenant God says he would make. It says, I like this. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. You see, in the old covenant, not everybody had that personal knowledge of God. Not everybody knew that anointing. Not everybody knew what it was to have the Spirit of God come upon them. And if you were not a judge, you wouldn't know that experience. If you were not a priest or a prophet or a king, you might not know that experience. And you'd have to go to someone and say, who had that experience, what is it like? What is it like when the Spirit of God comes on you? i got good news. You don't have to ask anybody. You can know it for yourself. Amen. I mean, this is wonderful that you and I live in this covenant that we can know the presence of God for ourselves. It's not a theory. It is a reality. We can know God experientially. So you don't have to ask somebody else what's it like. You get to know for yourself. It says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The reason you can know God, the reason you can experience God, is because the barrier of our sin has been taken away. It has been dealt with and you can know God. For yourself. Are you glad for that? Are you glad for that? Now, when, for with forgiveness put into effect, according to this passage in Jeremiah, it says that means you can be reckoned to be a member of the people of God. That means you're restored back into a living relationship with Himself. And what I like about this, when God forgives, God forgets. He says, I will remember it no more. Anybody here forgive, but you carry around the memory. (laughs) And yet the blessing is this. God says, I forgive. And he makes the choice to not remember it against us. What God forgives, God forgets. In other words, your acceptance and my acceptance with God is final And it is complete. And because we are forgiven people, then what God can do is He can take the Holy Spirit, put His Holy Spirit into your heart, and then He will write His laws 
in the tables of our heart and in the tables of our mind so that we can each personally know the voice of God speaking to every one of us. I've got good news. God is not a silent God. He is a speaking God. He is a relational God and He puts the Spirit in you so that you can hear His voice. He puts His laws in your heart so that you can know His will. And the reason He can do all that is simple. is because what I forgive, I choose to forget. This is good, good news. I like this one. Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. This is the close of the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah's got seven chapters, and these are the closing verses. I like the way the book ends. Listen to Micah chapter 7, 18 and 19. It says, Who is a God like you? How are you so different than all the other gods? Who is there? Where is there a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Can you find a God like that anywhere? Can you search the whole universe and find a God like that anywhere? He delights in mercy. He again will have compassion on us. And when it comes to our iniquities, He subdues them. He subdues our iniquities. He casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Not into the shallow end of the pool. He casts them in the depths of the sea. Some people have called this the sea of God's forgetfulness. Did you know he posted a sign there as well? It says, no fishing. No fishing. Now, sin in this passage is regarded as something to be subdued. You subdue our iniquities under us. If you have to subdue something, it's got to be an enemy. It is something that God has trodden underfoot. Just the picture he's using here is just like the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. Your sins are forever swallowed up and nobody can find them. That's good news. That's good news. As I said, these words <coughs> excuse me, bring the prophet Micah to a close. If you were to spend time reading all of chapter 7 of the prophet of Micah, it's an interesting chapter. Because in the first six verses of that chapter, Micah is speaking about the universal corruption that's in the world. It, the world is in a horrible state. And therefore, he begins to cry out to God, and he finds comfort in God, looking to God with some hope in submission to Him, and in prayer to God, he finds an assurance of favor. 
And he prays in chapter 7 and verse 14. And that in response to his prayer, to the sinful condition of the land, what God says in chapter 7 verses 15 to 17 is this. I like this. This is a favorite theme of mine I can read in scripture. God says, I know the situation is bad, but I am going to repeat for you the story of the Exodus. I wish you were here to say that. See that. So I'll say it again. I will repeat for you the story of the Exodus. Did you hear it? I am going to repeat on your behalf the story of the Exodus. I am going to do to your sins what I did to Pharaoh's army. Cast into the depths of the sea. And when Micah gets this answer, he just breaks forth in adoration of God. And he ends his prophecy on those words, There is no other God like this God. What makes this God different than all the idols and so-called gods of this world, what makes this God different is that He is a God who pardons iniquity. He is a God that passes over transgression. He is a God that delights in mercy. He is a God of compassion. And He is a God who will subdue the big enemy called sin in your life. There is no other God like this God. This is good news. This is good news. Who is like this God that forgives? As we've already seen, it's His glory to pardon iniquity. Passes over transgression. Even though He's got eyes like a flame of fire. The Bible says in Psalm 130 and verse 3, He does not mark our iniquities. How many are glad? If the Lord should mark our iniquities, who would stand? But He doesn't mark them. He doesn't retain His anger. He can hardly wait. If I could say God gets impatient, now that doesn't sound right because God's perfect, but if I could say in human terms, God, maybe He's a little impatient because He can hardly wait to show mercy. He just needs to show mercy. He exercises compassion, treads underfoot our iniquities. He changes the sinner. I like this. He doesn't cast your sins in the shallow end where they can be whipped up with the waves. But he puts them in the depths of the sea forever out of your reach. You'll never meet them again. Glad to be forgiven. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter preaching that your sins may be blotted out. What does that mean, blotted out? 
Well, have you ever seen anybody erase a chalkboard? That's what it means. Wiped clean. Acts 22, verse 16. Wash away your sins. God's forgiveness is like a detergent that cleanses every stain that sin has left us. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV about how to get rid of all the stains and all those tips you can have about getting rid of all the stains? The forgiveness of God doesn't just forgive you, it washes every stain of it out of your life. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 4 and verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That word covered is another picture there. In the Greek language, that means blindfolded. Anybody here ever been blindfolded? You can't see anything. You can't see where you're going. When it comes to our sins, God has blindfolded himself and the rest of the world. Nobody will ever see them. That's good news. Blindfolded. God has blanketed them out. God has covered them. He's hidden our sins, not only from his view, but also from the view of others. With God, to forgive includes forgetting them. Romans chapter, eight, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That word impute is an accounting term. If you were an accountant, you'd be using that term impute. When you keep your books, it means to reckon. It means here's the money I have coming in. Here's the money I've got going out. And hopefully I've got more coming in than i got going out. You know, but you're reckoning. And then when you pay for something on your credit card, you better go home and write it down because if you don't write it down, you will be caught with a surprise because your creditor won't forget even if you have forgotten. Anybody ever noticed that about bills? They don't forget to charge you. And the thing is, it's all written down. What I owe, what I owe, what I owe, what I owe, what I owe. But forgiveness takes all that debt column and it's all gone. They're not imputed, not reckoned against me. That is good news. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 26. It says, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That phrase, to put away sin, again, is a legal term. It means cancel a contract. Amen. Cancel the contract. Whatever agreement we made with sin, and whatever agreement we made with the devil, and whatever agreement we made with the world, I've got good news. There's somebody who has a greater law who can go ahead and cancel all our contracts. Amen. I don't care if you sold your soul to the devil. It makes no difference. He cancels the contract. 
Just because you made agreement with the powers of hell doesn't mean you are subject to them because we have somebody who can cancel the contract. Now that's good news. Amen? He puts it away. He cancels the contract. Hallelujah. This is good news. So what does God do with their sins we commit after we're born again? Anybody perfect? What does he do with it? Well, the answer is simple. 1 John 1, 7 simply says this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we fail, or should I say it when we fail, if we fail, God hasn't changed his nature. God still forgives. All he requires of us is repentance and confession. As we walk progressively in the light, step by step, the cleansing of sin in our lives is equally progressive step by step. His forgiveness and His cleansing flows continuously. Hallelujah. You're not going to exhaust His grace. Not going to exhaust it. I, just a simple thought here. How long does forgiveness last? Forgiveness is forever. How long is forever? Can anybody tell me? Let me say it again. Forgiveness is forever. Now you and I can sit here today and say, well, we know all that stuff. Well, thank God we know it because I'll tell you there are people out there who haven't got a clue about this stuff. Who don't see God in this way at all. They can't see God as compassionate, hardly wait to have mercy, whose glory it is to forgive because religion has done something to people outside the world and the picture of God is mean and wrathful and angry and can hardly wait to get you. Amen? But the good news is this. That's not His nature. He's compassionate, merciful. It's His glory to forgive. And when He forgives your sins, they are gone forever. Forever. Hebrews 9.12, He has made an eternal redemption. Hebrews 5.9, He's the author of an eternal salvation. Hebrews 13.20, He's made an eternal covenant. So let us enjoy being forgiven. Better than that, let's live as people who have been forgiven. Let us not live in the memory of things that God can't remember. Let us not hide back in shame for what we have done in our past lives when that past doesn't even exist any longer. Let us live in the freedom 
of being forgiven. Over the weeks I've dealt with topics like this. We have seen that God promises forgiveness and he wants to grant it. We have seen the nature of the human heart that needs to be forgiven. We have attempted in a small way to try to understand what it costs God to purchase our forgiveness. We have seen how repentance prepares us for forgiveness. We've looked at lots of biblical pictures of what forgiveness looks like. A kinsman redeemer, a silver coin of redemption. We've looked at all kinds of things. We've considered why God forgives, the purpose, because it's his nature to do so, to deliver us from a siege mentality so you don't live the rest of your life in shame of what doesn't even exist anymore, to be free from that. We've seen how God removes our sins from us, and we have seen that it's God's glory to forgive. All I can say is this, now let us enjoy it. Amen? Amen. Let us enjoy it. I appreciate what was shared this morning. The Lord's table is not a time to be quiet. It is a time to celebrate. Hallelujah. I wish it on none, but I hope none of us go back into a sinful lifestyle just so can we can appreciate what it means to be forgiven. We have a message that the world desperately needs to be here. They don't know what it's like to be free from guilt. They don't know what it's like to be free from shame. They don't know what it's like to be free from condemnation. They don't know what it's like to be free from a sense that there's no purpose or usefulness to their life. I tell you, it's great to be forgiven. Amen? It's great to be forgiven. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, and that's me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. It's great to be forgiven. Amen? It's great to be forgiven.